Welcome to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy or making effective changes to old practices. Your lesson, should you choose to accept it, is to empower students through civic education, specifically programs like the Equity and Civics Youth Fellowship. The special agent assigned to help you with this task is Amber Coleman-Mortley of Washington, D.C. Occasionally, I will hear someone say that there's, quote, no room for politics in schools. And I truly believe that that opinion is absolute grade A bunk. Politics is about power, who has it and how they use it, and everything in the school building, starting with the curriculum and ending with how many markers a school can afford to buy, is determined by whomever happens to hold that power. In a representative democracy, we want to believe that ultimately it's the citizens that are the most powerful. But time and again, we see that certain groups are underrepresented or outright excluded from participating in discussions and decisions that affect them. And school systems can perpetuate this every time a choice is made not to teach about civic engagement or voting rights. Not only denying students an education in the fundamentals of how decisions are made, but signaling to these students that their voices aren't welcome in those discussions. My guest, Amber Coleman-Mortley, wants to change this, beginning with the students themselves, through the Equity and Civics Youth Fellowship. This is a paid, year-long program for students in grades 7 to 12 to lend their voices to the discussion on equity and civic education. And I had a chance to chat with her about the fellowship, the empowerment of youth voices, and the general state of civic education in an online interview. All right, Amber, thank you so much for joining me and the listeners on the podcast. As we begin, do you mind just sharing who you are and what you do around education? Yes, of course. And thank you for having me. This is super exciting. I'm really stoked to be here. Um, my name is Amber Coleman-Mortley. I am the Director of Social Engagement at iCivics. Uh, we create video games and civic content, and we also create free lesson plans for educators as well. You know, my role there is I manage our educator network and our youth fellowship. And then by night, I'm a mom blogger and a podcaster at Let's K-12 Better. So kind of got my hands all over the place. Awesome. And there'll definitely be links in the show notes to your podcast, which, as I was telling you earlier, looks amazing. Thank you. And I also have a mini Meet a Resource interview set up for iCivics as well. So listeners will be able to find out more about the service that you guys provide. And I'm excited for that. But today, I'd love to chat with you about the fellowship. Yes. So if you don't mind sh sharing how it started and, and what it's become. Yeah. So the Equity and Civics Youth Fellowship is a project uh, between iCivics and Generation Citizen last year. That's how it started. We were funded by the Hewlett Foundation to explore equity and civic education and this fellowship um, is a part of that grant deliverable where, you know, we're like, well, what do students think about their civic education? And so last year we put this fellowship together and then, you know, this year we're like, let's take that one step further. So iCivics is going to take this fellowship 
you know, one step further to see like, okay, well, what else do students think? You know, last year we had 12 fellows and then we had um, about 11 other virtual students who also participated. They, they weren't part of the fellowship, but they just decided to stay on, uh, which was great. And then um, they asked their peers, you know, what do they think about, you know, equity? What do you think about civic education? What do you think about strengthening our democracy through better civic education? So these were the questions that our fellows and our virtual network students grappled with, and they talked with their peers about. Um, And it was just a really amazing experience for everyone. We learned a ton. Almost a thousand students were asked what they thought about civic education just from, you know, this the fellowship and the network students combined reaching out to their peers. So we learned a ton and we're really excited about this upcoming cohort. I have to ask, what do they think? I know that's a big question, <laughs> but if you had some, you know, top ideas that stood out, I'd love if you could share that. Yeah, definitely. So some of the things that were discovered through this process. And we we turned those, not we, the students actually turned their peer responses into a national social media campaign. You know, you can go on social media, specifically Twitter, and to the hashtag civics for us, C-I-V-I-C-S-F-O-R-U-S. And you can see there's a lot of, you know, tweets from our account about what students think. You know, one is, You know, teaching, learning about civics, hands-on experiences, right? Applicable experiences are important. Students want those kinds of experiences where they learn how to do stuff to make their community better. The other thing that we pulled out of this is that the definition of what civic education is, is quite vague. You know, like even adults have problems with defining what is civic education or what is civics. So, you know, our students also in the same boat, like what is civic education, right? Like what, what, what parts go into it? What is its purpose? What is it for? You know, why haven't I had one? Right. That's another (laughs) thing, right? You know, so like if it's super important to vote, like why hasn't someone taken me through the process of looking at a ballot, right? If it's, you know, super important to understand how our democracy works, why don't I know about the processes in local government? You know, so local government was another theme that came up, right? Like, you know, how do I engage at the school board level, right? How do I engage with, you know, what does the mayor do, right? You know, what's the relationship with the with law enforcement to the community, right? So like, these are all things that were brought up, you know? So I think there's still more digging to get into, you know, the, the idea that, What's the relationship with politics and civics? That's another issue. You know, students wanted to also connect with people who are different from them, right? So, you know, the ability to have the skills to talk and have a conversation with someone who you don't agree with, you know? So these students were are just very, I don't even know how to put it, like they're just very aware of what they're not receiving and how that's manifesting in the world right now. We had monthly discussions, the fellows and the network students, about their thoughts, and they were just extremely eloquent in describing, you know, what they would, what they're, what they hope, what their students at their school are experiencing, you know, and and also what needs to change. So again, I want to say it's not adults putting ideas in these kids' minds. You know, this fellowship was all about just peeling back the layers and giving students that platform and that 
space to speak their mind as freely as possible without judgment. I also teach adolescents and I feel like they're constantly, constantly being underestimated in terms of their ability to not only think critically, but to act critically. And I think that this manifests in a lot of ways, but one of that is that as teachers, sometimes there's this reluctance to turn things over to freeform debate or to let kids really run with a current event issue because they're scared of losing that control, but they're also a little bit scared of what those ideas might be. At least in my experience, as long as you've created a safe space in the classroom, it can only ever be an enriching experience to let them do that. I absolutely agree with you. I think, you know, in fact, it's quite interesting. We had a virtual panel. Uh, We were supposed to take students to South by Southwest this year in Austin. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, it was canceled. But we did hold the panel virtually. And so we kind of talked about, like, you know, what do students anticipate as the fear, you know, where they're not provided that space to speak up? And again, you know, our students, they were very like, it's not like we're asking for the keys to the entire school to be turned over. However, we are asking for our opinion to just be at least heard or even considered when decisions are being made. Um, There is a, a lot of apprehension and students feel it from the adults, right? That, you know, can, can the adult turn, turn over decisions to students, right? Thing that I've learned, and again, like you want to make sure, obviously, that you're setting boundaries. You're creating space to have relationships with these students, which makes it a lot easier for you to pull back the amount of control that you would, you know, think you have in the discussion, right? So, you know, you don't want to just go all in and say, hey, everybody, go, do whatever you want. Talk about race. Go. Yeah, right. (laughs) Exactly. That will be a disaster. Although it might not. Who knows? Students always surprise me. But you do want to also make sure that you just, you have a relationship with these students. You have set precedent with these students. There are norms in place where everyone's ideas and opinions are respected. People are expected to step up and speak up and then step back and allow others to uh, speak up. So, It's all about how do you, as the adult, facilitate the space and the conditions so that student voices can thrive in a way that is productive for everyone. Yeah, and I think just even the small things, too, like for teachers that are listening to this and feeling like they want to foster more of that in their classroom, like I remember saying to a student, because she was, you know, speaking her opinion and she was speaking it to me as a teacher and not to the class. And I remember saying to her, like, no, like share with your peers because that's the point. But I like I'm really interested here. I'm not going to tell you if you're right or wrong at the end. Like I'm learning so much from you right now. And like that look on her face, it was so magical because I'm like, these these are words that I think are very important, but they meant something to that student in that space. And I I think that's something that we need to tell our students more, which is we want to hear from you. Like you have something valid to say. Absolutely. You know, it's surprising (laughs) that when you do then empower that student, like you gain their trust and their loyalty, right? And their respect as well. 
you know, because then they're in their mind. Now you're an ally in helping them cultivate, you know, their ideas and opinions and, and, and their stance and, you know, how they'll challenge themselves. Right. You're just continuing to solidify yourself as a great teacher in their mind. So, I, you know, I would say you don't have to, again, like just release and like just open the floodgates. Right. But you do want to find where is their space, either in the curriculum or in the day or, um, you know, with smaller decisions or even larger decisions that we can incorporate students' voices and experiences uh, in, in what we're doing. In a recent episode of the podcast, I just like fell in love with an idea. It was in the Gabriel Valdez Social Studies Network episode, and he talked about collaborative journals where students write on a topic and then the next class comes in and reads it and they everybody's like adding to this book throughout the year. I'm sure for some teachers that's like, yeah, everyone knows about collaborative journals, but like it blew my mind when I heard it and I'm still like pondering all of the ways that it can be used. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, you know, that's kind of like how our, kind of like how our fellowships large project went, right? You know, like the students went out, you know, and for me, like equity is not about like giving a few people an opportunity and like seeing how we can cultivate the strongest, best, you know, loudest people, most confident already people, right? It's about like, how do we go out and like leverage the experiences and the privileges that we have so that we can bring other people along? And so, you know, this fellowship was all about collaborating on like building on each other's voices and experiences and opinions. So the students who are in the fellowship, they learn to take their own stance. They learn to cultivate their own beliefs and ideas about their civic education and solidify that. And then they went out and were like, okay, like, what does everybody else think? Let's bring in the voices of other people. Let's, you know, see where the, these voices like weave together or, you know, where do they, where do they separate, right? How do we build this beautiful tapestry of student ideas and thoughts and opinions? And how do we share that and lift that up and honor that, right? So I, I just really love that collaborative journal idea. Um, that's, that, yeah, that's amazing. I love your use of the word tapestry because I feel like a lot of the time we're doing quilts where everybody has their own little square and then we put it all together, but it's clear whose square belongs to, to whom. But when you have a tapestry, there is no, oh, so-and-so so sewed this, so-and-so sewed that. It's just the final project belongs to everyone as well. Yeah. Like, I think if we all were able to, like, you know how, like, you zoom into a picture and it's, like, super pixelated, right? <laughs> so you do have all those tiny little squares, like a quilt. But then when you zoom out, it's like, oh, wow, that's someone's awesome face, or that's a mountain, or that's a goat, right? <laughs> like, you know, like, that's a picture of something beautiful and awesome and unique, right? So I think we do, you know, get caught up in those squares, those boundaries that we're setting, when in all actuality, yes, my boundary has to touch someone else's boundary. And when all of our boundaries touch, we're making this really amazing thing right? Like we're making this really amazing experience or we're telling this really awesome story and we're doing it together. And everyone's part is important because if we took one square out, there'd be a hole in the middle of the picture. The one thing when I first looked uh, at the page, and again, of course, we'll have all these links 
is that for this youth fellowship, so it's for grades seven to 12, but that you're paying students, which I think is just the most amazing thing because, you know, I've noted so much in the past, like who gets to do these amazing opportunities? Who gets to participate in fellowships and internships? It's the kids that can afford to lose that time to unpaid work that is going to boost a resume or however they see it. And also, I think paying someone in a capitalist society, and we can debate that in another podcast, but that is a signal of worth. These kids aren't, you're not doing something for them, letting them come. You're saying, I want what you have to bring to the table, and it's worth something to me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's, I think that's part of this whole, the equity part of it, right? You know, I think when it comes to, you know, equity, it comes to trying to figure out like how to run a program and how, you know, again, like we were, we were very fortunate to be funded by the Hewlett Foundation so that we could provide this experience for students. But you're absolutely correct that it's, it's giving them the like key signal that your voice is valuable, right? It is an important part of making this exploration that happened between iCivics and Generation Citizen last year, you know, it's it's really important, <laughs> you know? And so we want to honor that. We want to make sure we lift that up. Um, we will be doing that again this year in the second round of the fellowship. And, you know, and the other part that I'll say that students that didn't get selected as equity fellows, we created then the Youth as Civic Experts Network. So any student whose application, you know, they didn't make it, they didn't get to be selected for the paid opportunity, you know, they were asked, hey, do you want to stay on for just the virtual component? Kind of like, you know, when you just take a course just to learn, right? So it's like, you can be a part of this virtual experience, you know, gain the same skills as everyone. Your participation won't be as intense, but we still hope that you will will join us. And so students did that and those students had a great time as well. And we intend to do that as well, right? Again, this year, where anyone who does not make it will have the opportunity to come and join us virtually. Students can apply for the fellowship themselves or a teacher can nominate them. What kind of student are you looking for? Like what's your criteria when you're evaluating these nominations or applications? Yeah, and thank you so much for highlighting that. And also, I want to say that even if a student applies themselves, they still need to get an educator or mentor like nomination as well, because we use both to help us with, with the process. So if students do apply themselves, please make sure that you also get that mentor recommendation. But we are looking for low-income students, you know, so students who are categorized as low-income We're looking for Black, Indigenous, people of color. Um, We're also looking for students in rural communities as well, right? So we wanted to get students of pretty much all backgrounds who we felt were not heard. So not like your typical, like, unfortunately, like white middle class student who's probably getting a pretty decent education. We're looking for students who you know, whose voices either have been historically unheard or ignored. We're looking for students who are in civic deserts. So that's why that was the impetus behind picking that criterion. And then obviously low-income students, we really want to make sure that we lift their voices up as well. Yeah, the minute I saw a fellowship initially, my mind 
and it went straight to a bunch of white kids in polo shirts sitting around a conference table. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is not this fellowship, but you know, hopefully like, I mean, I think the thing that we do like to do is make sure that we reach out to other programs, right? So that our students get exposed to the variety of programs that are out there and that those programs also get exposed to our students as well. So we do like to do exchanges between programs just to say, hey, like, what do your students think about this? Well, here's what our students think about this. Let's bring them all together to have a discussion. So there's even more exchanging going on as part of this fellowship experience. When you were getting feedback from last year's cohort, you kind of mentioned this before, but I'm curious, like, what did they highlight as the most impactful thing that the fellowship gave them, that experience gave them? Yeah. So truthfully, it was being able to, we, we brought all the fellows in last year to Washington, D.C., and they had a two and a half day intensive experience over a weekend where they learned media skills and training. And so that was super impactful. Um, unfortunately, due to COVID, we cannot do that this year, but it will still be super awesome. Another, <laughs> another thing that the students mentioned was just the opportunity to meet kids from other areas of the country. So we pulled in students from, I believe, 10 states and Puerto Rico. And so those students had you know, the opportunity twice a month to just talk about civic education, where they come from with kids elsewhere. And so, you know, we had students from Illinois, their civic education standards are really pretty good. So when students from other states that did not have high quality civic standards spoke with those students from Illinois, they're like, wait, like, why is that? You know, like, <laughs> what's going on? We're in the same country. So it was really great to be able to kind of cross-pollinate ideas and get students exposed to each other. You know, we had students from all ethnic and cultural backgrounds. We had students from rural and urban and suburban. And I think we also did a pretty good job of making sure we had a decent representation across the political spectrum as well. So again, we're looking to do a similar kind of experience where we get just a ton of different kinds of people together to talk about the issues, obviously civic education, but other issues that they care about. So one of the parts of the fellowship for the students is they need to publish an op-ed or a blog. What were some of the issues that your op-ed or blog students were tackling? Local government was one, right? Discussing local government. Obviously, this spring, we had a lot of social unrest. You know, so students talked about the impact of like, you know, what happened, the police brutality, right? And like the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and others and how that impacted them and like how that's connected to learning about government and learning about civics, you know, and learning your rights. And, you know, one student, his was published in the Chicago Tribune. So like, you know, the, the students touched upon the issues that mattered to them the most. But we just made sure that, you know, you have to tie it back to civic education. And so, you know, obviously because of the spring, what was happening in the spring, a lot of them discussed the social unrest. But, you know, many of them talked about other topics as well. Yeah, it's incredibly brave, I think, for anyone to put their opinion out there, but especially for students, because not only are they in a vulnerable position because of their age, 
but emotionally just the vulnerability to do that. So that's really quite amazing. They did that. I think again, like, you know, students want to to share their opinions, you know, like students have a lot to say. They have a lot of important things to say. They see that their voice is valuable. Not, they don't always experience that from the adults in their lives. That was something that was also brought up a, a lot. You know, so it's just really important that, you know, we give them as many opportunities as possible to teach them how to express themselves, to give them space to express themselves. You know, hopefully this next cohort, you know, you know, I don't want to force anyone to write an op-ed. Everyone's not great at writing op-eds, right? So, you know, creative projects are also on the table. Video projects are also on the table. Um, you know, I want to make sure that students are sharing their civic story in, in the best way and most authentic way possible. The question that I like to ask teachers is you get unlimited funds, unlimited time, unlimited control. What would your ideal civics curriculum look like? OMG. <laughs> I if we if we had unlimited funds, obviously as many students as possible having this youth fellowship experience and doing it at the largest scale possible, right? So it's not just 11, 12 students, we're talking about like, you know, 400 students each year doing this experience and all of them getting paid to do so and like, you know, flying them around to different places and putting on a huge, you know, type of like huge, huge conference, right? Just for students about civics, you know, civic projects, all of that jazz, right? Oh, that'd be so fun. Right? Like, wouldn't that be amazing? And, like, have everybody who has, like, a youth fellowship type program come in and, like, you know, talk about, like, whatever civic topic we've discussed for the conference, right? I think that that would be amazing because it would be, uh, it would show a diversity of student thought because not all students see student voice and student expression in the same way. And we, we have to respect that, right? I think a lot of adults see student civic engagement or student civic education as everyone's going out to protest. That's not, that's not it. There's a diversity of civic experiences that are available to each and every one of us as adults and students see the value in that diversity of civic experiences. So if I had all the money in the world, obviously I'd make more iCivics games. Also just providing the space for a diversity of uh, student civic education and engagement in some way. I don't know. Some, I'd have to imagine it more. <laughs> yeah. Well, so whoever's listening who has that unlimited money, uh, just contact me or Amber and we'll get right on that. <laughs> <Throw it. laughs> Let's do this. Seriously. You know, like, I mean, I think, I think, you know, I think that that's why, like, you know, again, I'm being partial, like iCivic games work because we put kids in the driver's seat of civic action and civic, you know, civic practices, right? And civic experiences. We're allowing students to try on what it's like to be president, try on what it's like to be a constitutional lawyer, right? Try on what it's like to run a county. We need more experiences that allow students the space to explore their civic responsibility because we can't release people into the world without having practiced what civics is. You know, if we're not getting voter turnout because we're not showing 
our students K through 12, you know, what does it mean to be a voter? What is but what is what are all the steps to voting? How do you register to vote? What does your ballot look like? Why is it even important to do so? What happens after you vote? How do you hold your legislators accountable? Right, and that's one small example in the large range of what is civics. And so I think more immersive experiences, more opportunities where kids can try on civics and practice civics and talk about civics and experience civics, not only by themselves but with others who are different from them and others who are also the same as them. We need more of it. Yeah, I I learned recently about the civil rights pioneer, Alberta Jones, who unfortunately still has an unsolved murder. But one of the things that she did in her community was borrow uh, voting machines and then practice voting with people, usually in her community, many of whom were, were minority or didn't feel like they had the right to go in there or lack of confidence of being there. And just the practicing of the voting made a big difference for this community. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause you don't know what you don't know, you know, like I hate saying no, like 50 million times, but it's so true, right? If you're not practiced, right. We practice driving before we give students a driver's license, right? Like, you know, we, we practice the musical instrument before we get on stage for the big concert, right? Um, there are a lot of things that we practice doing, you know, like we don't practice what it's like to be a good citizen. We assume people know what that is and what it means. And, you know, Justice O'Connor had a very awesome quote, like, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase, <laughs> good citizenship isn't passed down through the gene pool, right? Like we have to learn it with every generation. And again, paraphrase her awesomeness, but still, right? Like we have to practice what it means. And we, that means that years of practice, not one you know, half semester of a civics course or a social studies course. This has to be something that is done every day for a child's life until they release them to the wild as a legal adult. Well, that seems like a really good place to to stop because I, I love that idea of, you know, the, the practice pool and then released into the wild. If teachers in their mind are thinking, okay, I, I've got a student that would be perfect for this. When do they need to have their applications in by? Yeah, so applications need to be in by September 20th. If there is an issue with technology or something weird happens, you can always email me. Um, But the deadline is September 20th at 11.59 p.m. (laughs) Wherever your 11.59 p.m. is located. (laughs) Awesome. Well, so like I said before, I'll have links to the application, to the website, to your podcast. Before we end our conversation, is there anything that you want the listeners to know or anything we haven't covered that you think is worth noting? Yes. I will say um, just one, thank you so much for this opportunity to engage with you and your listeners. This has been an absolute pleasure and honor. The other thing I'd like to say is just, you know, we have to, as adults, begin to relinquish the future to the next generation because it's kind of like there's a lot to clean up. Right. And so we have to be okay with equipping them with the problem solving skills to kind of fix 
so many of the problems that our society is experiencing right now. And the, this generation of students is excited to get their hands dirty. So there's no like waiting until they're ready. They, they were born ready. You know, a lot of, they're, they're ready. Like, let's let them do this, you know, but we need to also give them the skills and the confidence and the support so that they can be successful in doing it. Awesome. Well, thank you again. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And it's so lovely to know that programs like your fellowship are out there in the world doing such good work. Thank you, Aviva. Pleasure is mine. That was Agent Amber Coleman-Mortley on giving students voice, confidence, and agency through the Equity and Civics Youth Fellowship. This episode will not self-destruct in five seconds, but will be available along with links to resources we mentioned and information about previous special agents at lessonimpossible.com. And if you like the podcast, please consider forwarding it to your colleagues or rating and reviewing it on your podcast listening app. This has been Lesson Impossible, and I was your host, Aviva Levin.